0: All right. Well, uh, I'm going to review a little bit, since we have our, the other Sunday School class joining us this morning. We've been looking at this idea of, of what is the church. And, and along with, with the sermon series, we've been going a little bit deeper and, in some, and some different issues as well. Uh, but we, we, we've been diving into that issue of, of just thinking out what did the Bible say about the church, that it's a people, not a place. And in particular, it's not just any people. It's not just any people gathered any time. It's, it's a regenerate people. And it's not just isolated, pe- regenerate people, but it's, it's, it's the church gathered, it's assembled. I was, I was trying to communicate that to Isaac as we had canceled church last week. And I said, we're going to do worship at home. And, and he's like, well, we're doing church at home. Well, the church is not a place. It's not just an activity. The church is the people. And if we're not with the people, it's really not Church. And, and, and it's worship. We're going to worship as a family. We're going to have a wonderful time seeking God and worshiping God. But church is a, is a gathered group of, 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 of regenerate people. He didn't understand. He still calls it church at home. And that's okay because yeah. he's five. Um, but but we, So we started looking at that. We also started looking, what is the biblical qualities? And we said that there's important distinctions. As we look at this idea of church... there's different distinctions that that help us in our classifications and the difference between what we can call the true church and the false church. True church and false church. And we we looked at the, the whole distinction relies on the gospel. The gospel is the distinction between the true church and the false church. And we looked at Matthew 16, and we see that Jesus built his church on the gospel confession, the right gospel confession, by the right gospel confessors. So the right gospel confession is the right gospel from Jesus. There is a right answer and a wrong answer of who Jesus is and what he's done. In Galatians, there's a danger of departing from that gospel. Of 1 John, the evidence of salvation is having the right gospel. In 2 John, that you're not to have fellowship with those claims. Claiming to be brothers, but with a different gospel. So there is a distinction between a true church and a false church by the right gospel confession. And and also we talked about that what is it that makes a true church? It is it's the right gospel confessors, right? Because the, the church is the people. And so we see that, 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 that what is it that marks out the people of God? It's not only the right gospel confession, but the right gospel confessors who are marked out biblically by two things, the initial mark of that confession, which we said that when you have the right confession, the church marks you out as part of the people of God through the act of, what do we say? Matthew 28. Sorry. Baptism. Yeah. That's the initial means of becoming a disciple, right? So it's the right gospel confessors that are marked out that they have the right gospel confession through baptism. And then the continual mark of that confession is the continuation of that through the Lord's Supper together, which we see is commanded in Luke 22 and 1 Corinthians 11, as we looked at last week, that baptism is the doorway into the body of the church. And the Lord's Supper is the regular family meal of those who are members and that mark of unity of those who are the church. And And we said that between the, in the true church, there's the difference between we could say ordered and disordered, in the sense that there may be churches that do things differently. We may even say maybe do things not according to the scripture, but that's not a mark if they're a true church. The mark if they're a true church is is the gospel right. Are they the right gospel confessors? The right gospel confession. That's the difference between a true and a false church. That's why we can be able to say that the Church of the Latter-day Saints is a false church. But that's different than saying there's another church that of a different denomination that does things different than us that we may say is disordered. We may say it's not ordered according to scripture, but that doesn't make it a false church. And so having those categories is really helpful when we think about, and all that comes from understanding what the church is. And that really, this comes from, that, from Titus. So if you look at Titus, that Paul talks about putting the church in order, that there's a possibility for the church to be out of order, and yet it's still a church. But as we're looking at these two things of the true church, we're looking at what these marks of the true church are. And historically, out of Matthew 16 and out of the New Testament, there have been two, mar- two marks of the church. The right gospel confession, which we say is the right preaching of the word of God. Right? What it makes a true church It's the right preaching of the word of God. The audible proclamation of the gospel, that the gospel is audibly pro- proclaimed. And then we also see a true church, again, the marked out right or the right confessors. That's the right administration of the ordinances that there's baptism and there's Lord's Supper. As we said, that's the difference between a, a group of Christians having coffee together and a church, right? Well, the group of Christians can have a coffee together and they can pray together and they can, they can fellowship together, they can encourage each other, they can study the Bible together. But are they a church? Well, if they're not marked out as gospel confessors through baptism and the Lord's Supper, then it's not a church. Right? And if they do start saying, we are, we are having, we're admitting people through baptism, we are keeping accountability through the Lord's Supper and church, and and discipline of this group, well, what you're doing is starting to form a church. Right? So that's what's marking those things out. That's what marks out a church. The right preaching of the Word of God, the audible proclamation of the Gospel, and the right administration of the ordinances. That's a visible proclamation of the Gospel. Right? When, when we do, as I've shared, when we do communion, when we take communion or when we do baptism, it's like the gospel is being played out in front of us visibly. Right? It's tangible. Right, my, my wife's a tactile learner, so you know that idea of for, for us for for those who are tactile learners is when you take communion, it's it you can you can feel it, right? You can see it, you can you can feel it crunch between your between your teeth as you take the, the bread, your, your body is crushed for you. It's a it's a visible picture of the gospel when we celebrate the Lord's supper and we celebrate baptism together, and so that's what we're going to do this week and then next couple weeks in our in this class is we're going to look at these marks of what marks out a true church. And we're going to look at briefly this week uh, on preaching, and then we're going to take some longer times, so and we're going to look at what does the Bible say about baptism, and what does the Bible say about the Lord's Supper, um, and then and include it in that also what does the Lord say? What does the Bible say about the uh, church discipline? But first, any questions before we move on about about the review of, of what is a church and true church and false church and some of those things? Questions, thoughts, comments? Yeah, Corey. I just really appreciated you uh, talking about the order and the disorder. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I had um, I had, had one, one, of, one person in Sunday school last week that, that, that so they shared with me that really hit them because the idea of when, when Acts talks about there are churches with no elders, yeah. but it talks about that they went back to strengthen all the churches, appointing elders mm. as they went. Mm-hmm. So you can say, is a church a true church if it has no elders, if it has no pastors, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because it's not the idea of, we're a church if we have a pastor. We're a church if we have an elder board. No, I think there's an ordered way that Scripture has given for the church to be run that we want to be ordered. And the Bible gives an order of an elder board. The Bible gives an uh, an order of, 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 of a pastor and a preaching pastor. But that's not what makes the church. And so it's that, that, helpful when we think about how the Bible describes church in that way. And, it, and also, as I've said before, it helps, it should help when we, sometimes we just want to lump everything into categories. We want to say, hey, everyone who calls himself is a Christian and they're just different than us. That, that's, that's actually a confusion of categories. There are, there are many people that call themselves Christian who use Christian lingo, who, who is not a true church. It's a different gospel. But at the same time, there's a danger to say everyone who does, doesn't does do everything the way we do according to the Bible is a false church. Well, that's also a confusion of categories because if the gospel's there, it's a gospel church. It is a true church, but we may say there are some aspects that's disordered according to the word of God. And, and, and I think that's unwise, but I would say that even our church probably needs to continue to grow and grow and make sure that we are ordered according to the word of God. Yeah, yeah. And the, the,
1: even the name of the church, I know some people get hung up, uh, the... Mormons do they say? Oh, of course, we're Christian. Christ's name is in our church, which <laughs> uh, you know, Christ's name wasn't in the the churches that that, that Paul set up. It wasn't yeah. the original church called the Way?
0: That that's what they that's how they were originally described. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it,
1: it uh, it's interesting how that uh, that's not a label. Yeah. By putting Christ in the name of your church, does it? just like standing yeah. in the garage doesn't make you a car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, busy. come on. All right. Well, let's
0: let's look Oh, did you have something else, sir? Well, I just and I really appreciate how our church is,
1: like you said, and we're still growing. We're mm-hmm. still trying to really really have our church ordered yeah.
0: according to the word. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's look here though at the first mark. The first mark of the true church, that right gospel confession is really found and historically has been called the right preaching of the word of God. This really comes from the Reformation is really when this was re- Kind of rediscovered. I wouldn't say it, it was it was dis- invented there, but you look at the idea of the Reformation had to start asking the question: Is what what makes a true church? What's the difference between a true church and a false church? And who are the other common churches? And one of the things that made that mark of 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 a, of a true church was: Do they have the right gospel? And Is there the right preaching of the word of God? And I'll be honest, I was tempted to skip right past this and go. Let's get to, into baptism. There's so many issues about baptism, and let's talk about infant baptism and adult you know, and, and believer's baptism, and let's talk about all these difficult issues that deal with baptism. But in, in some ways, because I think at, at Ocris Ev Free, we have a good foundation of the preaching of the Word of God. Pastor Bob did a good sermon about the, the importance of the preaching of the Word of God. But I don't want to just skip past it. I want us at least spend a Sunday just to really make sure we're in this as we're talking about what makes a true church. And so I want to give a brief review because it, it, it just reminded that it is the preaching of the Word of God that makes us a church. As we're going to see, it is God's Word that gives life. It is God's Word that builds His church. And so that as we think about what it is, what is it that's going to, to make us be the church that God's called us to be, it's the right preaching of the Word of God. If you, if you end up having to move and you have to find another church, what is that you should be looking for nothing less than the right preaching of the Word of God? There might be other things you're looking for, but there should be nothing less than that. And, and here's the reason why, and this is a quote out of Mark Dever's book. He says this, God's people in scripture are created by God's revelation of himself. His spirit accompanies his word and brings life. Right. The, the way that, that the church is life, the way that we have life, the way that spiritual growth happens is that we have a God who speaks. Right? That we We're we not left to our own speculation about God. who, who God is. Right? That, that's what most people... Are. When they think about God, when they think about all these spiritual issues, it's speculation. Well, I've gotten together with this group of people, and this is what we think spiritual truth is. Me and my buddies, this is what we think God is like. Right? But God is not a God of speculation. God has revealed who he is, and by his word, that's how he gives life to his people. That's how God has always worked, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. So let's look at some of these examples. Look at Genesis 1 with me. Easy to find. As I always told the youth group, if you, open, if you go any farther left in your Bible, you fall out the front. <laughs> Genesis 1. Genesis 1. If you see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was... Light, right? And so we saw in Genesis 1, how did God create the world? How did he create life? By his word. He literally spoke, and that's what brought about creation. That's what brings about life. If you look there in, in Genesis 2, Genesis 2 verse 7, how did God bring life to Adam? He breathed on him. God's breath, out of his breath, out of his words, he brings life. And that's interesting. If we trace through Genesis, if you look after the fall, look at Genesis 3.15. God creates everything. Everything is good. In fact, in the end, he says, it's very good. And then Adam and Eve have to go mess everything up, right? And, and so they sin. There's the fall. Everything is broken. And so how does God then bring life into the brokenness of the fall? Look at verse 15. Actually, if you start at verse 14, the Lord God, what? Said, right? The Lord God spoke. Here's the situation. God made everything good. Adam and Eve broke everything with sin in the fall. And what is God's response? It's to speak life into brokenness, right? What is the solution for brokenness in our world? What is the solution for brokenness in our lives? It is the way that God has spoken his word of promise into that, that broken situation. And that's what we see in verse 15, what's called often the first gospel. If you want to know the first time the gospel appears in the Bible, it's in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, this speaking of the serpent, who, who, who t- tempted to sin, between your seed or your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And, and so what we see, there that, that's the first promise of the gospel, right? That there's going to be this enmity between, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent is going to injure, right? The, bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but, but the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. So that's the first picture that, that the one who brought sin and, and, and the one who brought fallenness, the one who brought death, is going to be defeated, interesting, through the seed of, not through Adam, but through the seed of the woman, right? It's an early hint of what? Virgin birth, virgin birth right? So you see, it's the early picture of the virgin. It's, in Genesis, a picture of the virgin birth, a picture of the gospel that's to come, the first picture of Jesus. In fact, if you look in, in Genesis 4, it says, And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. It's interesting. that There's some translation of the Hebrew, but it's not often translated in English. And you have to be careful when it's always saying, well, the Greek says this or the Hebrew says this. So I want to clarify that. But if you want to be, take that really literally, if you really literally take the Hebrew there, it's actually saying, I have, uh, with help, I have begotten the Lord. But the problem is that doesn't really make a lot of sense in English, right? Except when you start to look at that, I, 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 was, I was talking with a, um, a, um, a believer that's a, a, a Jewish believer in Israel that you know obviously reads Hebrew and understands Hebrew grammar and saying that's just mistranslated because it really should say with help, I have begotten the Lord. I've begotten Yahweh. And, and the problem is, is that in English that kind of sounds kind of crazy, right? But if you think about it, Adam and Eve had, had perfect understanding of God and they had perfect understanding of, of their situation. And if they said, okay, there's this sin that happened and we got kicked out of the garden. If you were Adam and Eve, what would you be talking about? Boy, if you're, if you're leaving, what? Boy, did we blow, boy, did we blow it. <laughs> we're outside the garden. And how do we, what? How do we get back in? Right? Right, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's me, right? And that's after they played the blame game. That's after they played the blame game. That's true. But I mean, even things l- way less than the Garden of Eden, right? When you, when you think about, you know, we have, my, our family has fun at Disneyland. And a week later, what's daddy talking about? <laughs> when do we get to go back to Disneyland? <laughs> right? But that's even more with the garden. that They were, they were in perfection. They're kicked out of the, the garden. How do we get back? Because God's promising that we get to go back right? He promised that, that from our descendants is going to come one who's going to crush the head of the serpent, who's going to fix everything so we can go back to Eden. Well, Adam and Eve had better understanding of God than any of us do. I mean, they literally walked with God in the cool of the day, right? In the garden. I mean, they had an understanding that the Bible then flushes out that the only person that can crush the head of the serpent, that can actually fix the problem of sin is not going to be a person, not a human, or at least not only human. It's going to have to be Yahweh himself. And it's going to have to be Yahweh himself coming through the descendant of Eve. And so, so this, 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 this Jewish believer said, the way you should be translated is, yes, that Adam and Eve understood that the only way for the problem of sin to be solved is if God himself comes, and the only way is that, if God said that this can be fulfilled through Eve's descendant, is that, she is going to, that her descendant is going to be God in the flesh. And so you see that, that there, but all that came from God's, God's promise, that God spoke his word to bring the life of the gospel. And then turn, turn over to Exodus 20. As we trace throughout the Old Testament, of how does God give life? How does God, how does God bring life to his people? How does God bring spiritual life? Well, we've seen so far it's through his word. But then look at Exodus 20 where we have the Ten Commandments. But look at how the Ten Commandments are actually described. And God spoke all these words, words, right? So really, the Ten Commandments are the ten words, you could say, or the ten sayings. So so that God is is giving life to Israel, showing how Israel can be in relationship with him, right? Originally, it's interesting um, that if you look, let me see, where is it? That that, um, that that God in, 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 in Exodus nineteen, let's see if I can find it. He actually says, "You have a relationship with me." It's not that if you follow the ten commandments, then you'll earn a relationship with me. That that wasn't how God ever set it up. It's that I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. How do you then walk in relationship with me? You follow my words. So how does God bring life to His people? How does God maintain the relationship with His people by His word? Right, So throughout the Old Testament, God ministered to his people by his word. And then throughout the, the Old Testament, the, the word through the prophets and the teachers, it's always, thus saith the Lord. I don't speak for myself. I am speaking for the Lord. I, I was talking with Don um, at the Super Bowl party, Super Bowl party that you know, I, I'm reading through the Apocrypha or the Deuterocanonical or the, the, the extra books of the Old Testament that the Roman Catholic Bible have or the, the, the Greek Orthodox Bible have that our Old Testament does not have, um and I asked Don if you ever read through of them because some of them are kind of just bizarre. Just bizarre. And and it's the first time I've actually really sat down to really read some of these things. And um and there's a reason we don't have them in our Bible, and, and the biggest reason is if they're not part of Jesus' Bible when he said this is the Word of God, well, if it's not good enough for Jesus, it's not good enough for me. Um but what's even more, it's interesting in Maccabees, it talks about how they they couldn't decide what to do with the um with, with the, the, the desecrated holy objects, because there was no prophet. There was no one to speak for God. And because there was no one to speak for God, they had no direction. Right? As you look at that period after Malachi and after Chronicles and, 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 and after Nehemiah in that period up until Matthew, that they're, they're, that even the people who were writing Jewish literature were saying, this is different because this is not spoken of the Lord. Uh, if you read the, the Psalms of Solomon, which I've been reading through, which are very interesting, it, it's talking about, it's giving a bunch of wisdom, but he's very clarifying that this is not wisdom like the Old Testament. He's actually trying to take things from the Old Testament to explain, but this is not the word of the Lord. This is just trying to expound on the word of the Lord, like we may do and saying, well, the Bible says this, so here's how you apply this to your life. That's what God says, and here's what I'm trying to say to how do we apply that, right? The difference between here's God speaking and here's me speaking. Right, and so that's—it's very interesting that, that, that the Jews understood it's God's word that brings life, and there is a difference between the word of God and, and, and man's words because it's the word of God that brings life. In fact, turn over to Ezekiel thirty-seven, and this is—if you're a visual kind of a visual person or you can visualize things more—this is this is a really a dramatic visualized picture of, of of what I've been saying of what the whole Old Testament says about the word of God. Look at Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. I'm going to read verses one through three, where Ezekiel says, "In the hand of Yahweh, or the Lord, when it's a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the name of God, Yahweh, was upon me, and He brought me out in the spirit of, the, of Yahweh, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones." And he led me among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord Yahweh, you know. So, so what's the context here? It's not just, oh, a picture of bones, right? What's happening in Ezekiel? Where is Ezekiel during this point? Anyone know? He's with the exiles. So Israel's exiled. It's almost like Israel died. The dead bones, the of Israel. Yes. So the dead bones. It's like the That God. It's like that. The people of Israel have died. Right. They've been cut off from the temple. The temple's been destroyed. The people of God are away from the land. They've been scattered amongst yeah. Babylon. And It's almost like that the, the nation of Israel has been decimated, and they're just pictured as, as as an army that's been so devastated that only the bones of those army remains. Can, can you picture, That's what Ezekiel's picturing here. Just picturing this valley that there's this huge war, and this army got whooped so bad that all you can see is their bones laying everywhere. Mm. That's how Israel's pictured here, and the, huh? And they're very dry. And they're very dry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and there's no one left because they just, they just laid there. Then look, at, then look how it continues. Verse four. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. So what does God tell Ezekiel to do? to speak, right? What is going to bring about these, this, this new life, this new creation to these dead bones? Words. God's words. Thank you, Sherry. Yes, important clarification. That's an that's important one. It's not just, a, I'm just going to go speak, but when God speaks, he brings life. He brings new creation. I mean, just, just picture what's actually being said. God's saying, uh, go over there and, and preach to the bones. Right? That's the idea of prophesying, right? They're going to preach. They're gonna, he's going to be prophesying and speak the word of God. Go over and give a sermon to the bones. Well, let's look at the results. Look at verse 6. And I will, and I will lay sinews uh, uh, upon you. Oh, I'm uh, verse Yeah. And I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you so that you will live and you'll know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, There was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and the flesh had come upon them, and the skin had covered them, and there was no breath, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. So that brings about the bones, but how do they have breath? Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord Yahweh. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is is a dramatically acted out picture here of what God has been doing throughout the whole Old Testament. How does God give spiritual life to his people? By speaking, through his words. And in particular, that it's not just like Genesis of him directly through his words, but as God has revealed himself and that revelation is declared to his people. Right? That's what preaching is. That, that, that's why preaching is the foundation of the word of God. That's why our church is going to live and stand or fall partly, in, in large part, based on the preaching of God's word. Right? That, that God's word brings life. That's why the, the true church has always been recognized the importance of God's word. That's why we see in the, in the Reformation, it's interesting, if you look at history, that, that during the Middle Ages, that, that you actually, the preacher would sit and the congregation would stand. But not stand like you have to stand the whole service, but they kind of mill around. If the preacher's giving their sermon, it's like, okay, it's time. Hey, Lee, how's it going? How was your week? Oh, I know he's saying something right now that's not really important. First of all, because it was in Latin, so a lot of people couldn't understand it. And second of all, it's because the preaching was not the important part of the worship service that in the roman catholic church the important part of the worship service was not the preached message but what communion, communion. communion. the sacrament that, that that when it came sacrament time then it was time to come focus because that's how i get my righteousness that's how i can come get right before god the preaching does not matter it's, 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 it's sacrament time. So that's why you saw, oftentimes, the, the preacher would just be sitting, or the, the, you know, the, the, the priest would be sitting off to the side of the stage, kind of giving his lecture, but sitting down. The people would mill around until it's sacrament time. Well, when Luther came, and when John Calvin came, and, 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 and the Reformers came, they, they started looking at the Word of God, and they said, no, first of all, we get our righteousness through Jesus Christ. And then what gives life? When we gather on Sunday as the church, what is going to give us spiritual life? It's not the communion. It's the word of God. Right, And so that's when so the congregation would be seated. That's when you started seeing pews or you started seeing the congregation start to sit, sit down so that they could focus on the word of God. That's when you started seeing the, the pulpits being raised up and, and kind of being so that people could see and hear the word of God. The most important point of why we come together is so that we can be edified by the word of God because it is God's word is what brings life to his people. And so that's the theme of the whole Testament. That's what the, the Reformers picked up on as well. Let me stop there real quick. And any questions on that? Questions, thoughts, comments? Gee, truly yeah. How did the church get so confused? Well, like little yeah, by
1: little.
0: <laughs> yeah, little by little. I mean, I'm not a church history major. I've always said that. Like, I, I respect people that lo- love church history because they just, there's so many dates and names and things I just don't get. But you also look that there was a drifting away from God's word, right? And that's what the Reformers pointing out. It's no longer founded on God's word. It's founded on really papal tradition and decrees. And so when you see leadership that's not based on God's word, starting to lead the church more and more away from God's word, that that, you know, you see that more and more. Yeah. I, I think that... But that happens today. That's true. And that's, the, that's, the part where, and that's why what you're saying is so important. Yeah. Yeah. On to yeah. If you start seeing a church that it, it veers from the word of God even this much, yeah. and then you just look 30 years into the future, what's that look like then? Yeah. And you also look at what is going to, what's going to bring about correction, right? When we start, when we start to veer, because we all do, cause, because what's called the noetic effect, that even if we have the Holy Spirit in us, our minds are still affected by the fall. None of us are saying, yeah, God gave us the Holy Spirit, and now our minds, we don't have any effect of the fall at all. That was actually, uh, oh, who was it? There's a Roman Catholic theologian who understood that. That's why they're understanding. They're saying that, yes, yes, we're fallen, but our minds aren't fallen. And so that's why that we can, sh- we can you know, uh, that's, that's why they had their, their, their understanding of, of some things with, with um, some of their salvation in, in the Roman Catholic Church because the mind's not fallen. Logic is not fallen. But we understand, yes, even our logic's fallen. And what's going to bring a correction when our logic's off? When we're thinking off, what's going to bear a correction? The word of God. That's the only thing that brings correction. So if you don't have the word of God, if a church does not center on the word of God, that's what's gonna, it's not gonna have the correction that's needed. It's not gonna have the rebuke that's needed. It's not gonna have the admonition that's needed. It's not gonna have the the life that's needed to to get right again. Because I think that throughout the history of the church, we've always seen driftings. Right? You look at throughout church history that there's always been driftings. There's always been the errors and things that have to get worked through. But it's always, the, the, when it comes to the word of God, is what, what informs that. But when, you, that, that, when that error centers around the word of God, then it's dangerous. You're cutting yourself off from the life that God brings. So, are we going to... Oh, okay. You look like I was saying something. All right. Uh, let me look, let's look briefly, real brief at the New Testament. So in the New Testament, uh, we won't turn there, but if you, look at, if, you, if you looked at John 1, we all know that, that, that when, when God took on flesh... He is called the word, right? That, that Jesus is not only decla- coming to declare God's word, he embodies God's word, right? We often use the word incarnation, right? Incarnation. Incarnation is not in your Bible. You cannot find the word incarnation in your Bible. It's a Latin word and our Bibles are not in Latin. The idea of incarnation of God becoming flesh, the word dwelt, became flesh and dwelt among us, that's in your Bible, but the, word, the actual word incarnation is not in your Bible. It's, it's, it's a Latin word, and the idea of, you guys have, there's chili and there's chili con carne. I know I'm not a very good, I, my, my Spanish accent's not very good, but there's a difference, right? What's the difference between chili and chili con carne? With meat, with meat right? Uh, there's chili, and there's the good chili yeah. with meat. Right? <laughs> you I'm not that, Charlie? I know, I know. I'm a gringo. Um, at least Pablo's not here to, to to mock me, right? Okay. So but there's there's chili con carne, right? Incarnation. In the meat. In the flesh. That's what incarnation means. It's in meat. Jesus came in meat. In meat form. Right? He Jesus is is God come in flesh form. Is that, that's right Jesus carne. But, but we see that, that's, that the God's word now is not only spoken by Jesus, it's literally embodied by Jesus. So that everything that Jesus says and everything that Jesus does is the way that God speaks to us. Right? That's what we see throughout the New Testament: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's what we see Hebrews saying, "In these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son." And then look over real quick at Romans 10. And we'll we'll this will be our last verse, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. Romans ten, we see that, that, that this is still how God works today. God brings spiritual life by speaking, by speaking through His Word, and more particularly by His people, His messengers speaking His words through uh, through through the preaching and the declaration of His Word. Um, Romans chapter ten. I'll start in verse fourteen. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So that's the point. What brings life and growth to God's church? It's through God's word. It's God's spirit working through God's word. That's what brings life to God's people. And so, so here's some implications. It, it that means that one of the marks of the church, it means it's built upon the right preaching of God's word. That, that you have to have the right preaching of God's word for the church to be, to grow, and have the spiritual life that God intends. So and a couple notes on that. First of all, right preaching means it's text-focused meaning that, that right preaching meaning that, that what God has said, that the preaching should be what God has said in his word, not what my opinions are about his word. And that's why the, the best form we usually say that our church likes to, and again, this is not a difference between true and false church. I think it's ordered disordered, But that the, the, the expositional preaching is the, the way that we want to make sure I as the preacher don't get to sign, here's what I want to say this morning and how do I find a Bible verse to back that up? <laughs> Right, Because that's not about how God is speaking. That's about how I want to speak. Instead of saying that, that this is what... The, here's, a, here's, here's a basic definition of an expositional sermon. Expositional does not mean boring, contrary to some people what they say. Oh, the boring sermon, that must have been expositional. Um, expositional says nothing about the length of a, of, of a text. An expositional sermon can be on one verse. It can be on an entire book. Right, it, it, So expositional has nothing to do with that. An ex, it, does, it has nothing to do with the, the length of the sermon. You can do an expositional sermon in 10 minutes. You can do an expositional sermon in an hour and a half. What's the definition of an expositional sermon? The point of the text is the point of the sermon. That's what we, if you go to a church and you're saying, is this expositional? I don't care if they're going through the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse. That doesn't necessarily make it expositional. What is expositional? The point that God has here is the point that I'm making here that's expositional. That's what you want to see. That's what we want to see as a church. The point of the text is the point of the sermon. And that doesn't have to be verse by verse through a book. You could do that topically, right? But you want to say the point of the text is the point of what is being communicated. Done. If I was a uh, person
1: that just landed on earth, yeah. and I'm a recovering Catholic, for those of you who don't know that, mm-hmm. um, and if I was to sit through a Catholic service I would have, and I had a logical mind, I would have to come to the conclusion that there's a co-redemption with Mary mm. uh, in, 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 the, in the product of the service of what takes place. You, you would have to assume that, yeah. okay? And it's so interesting, because the, the verse that really rocked my world when I was coming out of Catholicism was in uh, Luke um, 11, where the, 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 the woman speaks, and she says that blessed is the womb, that bore hmm. you and the breast that fed you. Hmm. If there was ever, I often said this. And this is what changed my mind on a lot of different things as I started studying the Word of God. But I said, if there was ever a time when Jesus could have validated that, hmm. that was the moment in, time, yeah. in history, documented time, yeah. where He could have absolutely validated. But what does He say? He says more than that. Blessed are those who hear the Word of yeah. God and keep it. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. That just blew yeah. me away. Yeah. It's like. It just leveled yeah. it for me yeah. to say, wait a minute, you know, as a church, you elevate this human yeah. to a point of co-redemption, Yeah, and that's not what Jesus said. Yeah.
0: Elevation of Mary, elevation of saints, and, and obviously elevation of the sacraments, where Jesus is saying, it's through the word of God. Yeah. It's through hearing the word of God and obeying the yeah. word of God. Yeah. Uh, also, real quickly, the right preaching is gospel-focused. If the sermon does not have the gospel, it's not a Christian sermon. Let's just, let's just keep that right in front, right? That, that throughout the, the New Testament, it says the Old Testament speaks towards Christ. The New Testament all is a revelation of Christ. It's all about the gospel. The model of preaching we have, the only sermon we have, the full sermon really in the New Testament is the book of Hebrews. And it's all about here's the Bible and here's how it points to Christ, right? That, that if, 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 and I always say, if you can preach a sermon or you can sing a song or you can do whatever in a, in a Jewish worship service, then it's, it, it's, it's not Christian, right? If you can do it in a Muslim worship service, if you can do it in a secular worship service, right? If you have 10 tips about how to be a better parent, it might be really good, but it's not, it's not Christian preaching because there's something distinctive about Christian preaching, and that is the gospel. And then finally, we see the last point of application. The, the worship of God in, in church is centered on God's word. So what is it that we want to do on Sunday? And this is what we've been talking about in February at our service. It's the word preached, the word read, the word sung, the word prayed, and the word seen through the ordinances. That's what we want to do. That's the goal of the worship service. The worship service is we want to exalt, I think of John the Baptist's words, right? That he may increase and that we may decrease, right? That's what, that's what John's pr- prayer is, and that's our prayer, is that we want to hold up the word of God. We want to hold up God and what He says in front of the people. My wife's giving me the, the, the time signal, and so um, yeah.
1: The one thing I know that you're saying with that, but so clearly understand, is you can if you can preach that message and it has no effect on anybody there to cause them to question. Whether it's the gospel or
0: not, right? Yeah, I would say if, if, if you're looking at a sermon and there's nothing that points to Christ, and there's nothing that points to, to, to what Christ has right. done, right. then, then it's, it's, it's not a Christian sermon. Because it's altogether different. Because, yes, because the top Bible top says everything that. points that's towards what I mean. Christ. Yeah, that's what I mean. yeah. yeah. Um, but, so we want to say that, that it's, it's not just about preaching that we want the word to be central, but that the songs we sing, and, for, and we won't look at Colossians 3 6, says that we let the word dwell in us how? by singing it to one another, that we want to sing the words of God, that we want to read the scripture, 1, uh, 1 Timothy 4.13. We want to pray. It's interesting. If you look at the prayers in the New Testament, they often pray scripture. In Acts 4, they pray Psalm 2. Jesus from the cross prays Psalm 22. And, and, and then, we, then we want to see the gospel as we participate in the ordinances. So that's, we want to talk about, that's what, the importance of the word of God as and, and a mark of the church. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Okay, so that's really our for today, all our images on our phone. Hmm. You know, it's, it's God doesn't want us to he wants us to look in the spirit. He wants us to be, have a relationship with him, not just look at him and go, there's God. Mm-hmm. He wants us to know him.
0: Yeah. Because the word we hear it's the word yeah. we follow, uh, Yeah. not a figurine, not a, yeah. not a picture of not, God. yeah. yeah. Not not even just a, a pictured in a person like Don mentioned with Mary. Yeah, That it's, it's, it's God himself as he reveals himself to us. Yeah. Well, let me pray as we go and we do that in the service now, as we, we, we encounter God through his word. We, Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us that, that, that we would be those that, that would hear your word. And that we, would, as, as Don is, is mentioned from Luke, that we would hear and obey your word. Oh, Lord, that we may know you. Teach us your ways, that we may know you and walk in your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.